You're listening to Playing God, a podcast about storytelling, role-playing, and having fun. Let's get started. This is Season 1, Episode 5. The Ten Commandments. Today's episode is all about the Ten Commandments that will enable you to come to grips with this story and to keep it moving. These are the things that you should or absolutely should not do that'll keep your players interested, the story moving forward, and avoid some common pitfalls that can lead your story off the rails and into the pit. In a nice, easy top ten list. I mean, obviously there's a lot more to say about telling a story, about crafting the story, about keeping your players interested in the story and keeping the story moving. But what we're going to be focusing on today is just these top 10 commandments, thou shalt and thou shalt not. And as long as you keep these in mind, whatever you do to your story, you won't be committing these grievous sins from which there is no return. Actually, it's a top 11 because... Of course, you have to start with rule zero. Rule zero? What's rule zero, Chris? All right, well, Nathaniel, before we started the podcast, said to me, there's no way we have to explain rule zero, right? You, mm-hmm. just, you just invoke it. And mm-hmm. then if anyone questions you, you just invoke it again. Yes. You don't have to explain rule zero. Yes. But I think you might want an explanation, just in case you've never heard of it before. And rule zero is, I am God, therefore what I say goes. That means what you say uh, takes precedent over the books, over other players' knowledges, and it's a rule that shouldn't be invoked very often. Over-invoking rule zero can uh, lead to the players feeling like you're, you're just being mean or unfair. And it only should ever really happen uh, in order to combat like a rules lawyer. Exactly. So we haven't talked too much about rules lawyer yet, but we've mentioned them. Yes. And you might have seen it mentioned elsewhere if you've been studying up on this whole DMing storytelling thing. In a nutshell, a rules lawyer is someone who has bought the books themselves and has read them and in the minutiae and has written down all of their little spell descriptions and so on. And they've gone and looked up facts and errata online on Wizards of the Coast or whatever. And so they come to your table prepared to argue with you. Mm -hmm. So they do something in the story and they're like, all right, so if I do this, I get three actions in a row. And you're thinking to yourself, okay, well, I can see why that would be really cool and fun for you, but it's really going to mess up the combat flow for everybody else. They're going to be sitting there for three full combat rounds while you do nothing. So you say to them, okay, tell you what, you can have uh, one combat round interspersed between each other player managing to take a combat round, right? There's four of you, so you get one, then Joe gets one. Then you get another, and then Sarah gets one, and then you get another, and then, you know, Nadine gets one. And he's like, no, the book says, look at the rules right here. And that's when you say, I invoke rule zero. Mm -hmm. And he says, what do you mean rule zero? I didn't say rule zero in the book. And you say, and then I say, I invoke rule zero. (laughs) Right. What the hell are you talking? And then I say, I invoke (laughs) rule zero. (laughs) (laughs) The sound effects are mandatory, of course. Mm -hmm. Lightning's outside, crows have appeared. And the point here is that you're not trying to be arbitrary. You're not trying to ruin his fun. But you've got more than just, you know, your munchkin player to think about here. Mm -hmm. You have an entire table full of people who all want to have fun. 
and you know that in the end it's not going to really matter much to combat. He's still going to get his three rounds. They don't have to happen back to back to back. And if he really wants to pull off something crazy like that, tell him, tell you what, let's talk about it after the session and we'll work out how that can still happen for you and not be a problem for other people. The reason for invoking rule zero is because it ruins the fun for other people. Yes. Yes. You should really think hard about whether you're invoking it just because something has pissed you off. Yes. If the player has done something that you didn't expect, you don't set the story back onto the rails by invoking rule zero. That's terrible. You're breaking like the the number one golden rule of improvisation there. And and, and, and you've and you've And uh, you've broken commandment number three, but we'll get there in a moment. Yes. And instead of rewarding their creative efforts to try to move the story along or do something for their character, instead you've said, nope, it's my way or the highway, which is not the point of rule zero. Absolutely not. So here's the hard and fast. You invoke rule zero when someone is going to do something that is going to ruin the fun. Obviously, this requires you to consider the situation and to fi figure out for yourself, does this ruin the fun, or is it just something that annoys me? And if it annoys you, but it does not ruin the fun for other people around the table, you should let it slide. You should never invoke rule zero for that reason. It obviously is going to require a little bit of consideration on your part. You're going to have to set aside your own feelings on, but I had this really nice thing plotted out that was going to happen, and now this is going to make it impossible. Well. It's not impossible. You're God. You can do this. Mm -hmm. You just have to figure out some other way of bringing your characters around to it. Yes. Don't use rule zero to snatch player agency out of the hands of your players, right? Or to railroad your characters into whatever you had in mind. Only use it as a way of preventing the rules as written from ruining this rules as intended or the spirit of them or from ruining the tone and pleasure of the game. Mm. All right, so there's commandment zero. Invoke rule zero, but only when necessary. And now we come to commandment number one. Da -da! This is one is commandment number one because it's really near and dear to our hearts. It's one born out of long experience and great frustration. And it's, there shall be no shopping. Of any kind, ever. Ugh. Now Nathaniel goes a little bit overboard trying to grind this in because, of course, eventually your characters are going to want to do something with all that ill-gotten gold. Yes. You're going to want to give them the chance to buy something, but you shouldn't ever sit them down with the books and say, here, look at tables 1 through 17 and pick out the coolest stuff you want, unless you're prepared to spend the next three hours doing nothing but that. Yes. That will be your session, and the session will not end fun. Uh, there will be arguments about who deserves the cooler thing, because there will never be enough gold for everyone. Mm -hmm. And if there is, then you've probably given them too much money. Mm -hmm. Probably what you were actually aiming for was for them to get, you know, slightly better armor, slightly better weapons. You know, just step up the progression here, guys. Everybody share. Yeah. We're all adults here, right? We can do this. Nope. They can't do this. They can't do this. If you want them to get slightly better armors and we weapons... Give them, find, have them find a chest with slightly better armors and weapons in it. Or have them come to an armorer and says, yeah. yes, I can improve your armor for you. It'll cost you 10,000 gold, yes. and it'll improve your armor in these ways. Yes. 
and that's the only way that I can improve your armor. And you know, of course, that in a table somewhere, this is the next step in the armor that they would have gotten if they could have purchased it themselves for exactly the same price. Yes. But instead of just giving them the books and letting them go crazy for the next three hours, oh. you kept it down to five minutes. Yes. Uh, one addendum I will say, um, and because I could go on and on about like, never shop, never shop. But of course, obviously, if there's an item they have to get from a shop, if there's some sort of narrative reason why they have to enter the store and, you know, and buy the whatever, right? The magical book that some guy pilfered and sold to a, like a, I want to say the curiosity shop. That's <laughs> something that's coming to my mind. Sure. Uh, a little Zelda reference there. Uh, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. That can work. Yeah, absolutely. You walk into the store with a purpose, the same way that you do anything else. There's a right. narrative reason why you're in the store. It's not that you're going to start roaming the... the and if they do do that, like make it clear that you're here to buy such and such item. Oftentimes, you can easily constrain what the players can do with your description, mm -hmm. right? It's a little shop in the corner of a mall. It's a junk antique shop. Right, it's got two whole shelves. There's yeah. not a whole lot here for you to work with, yeah. right? Don't give them the endless aisles of a super mall to roam yeah. in trying to find the curiosity shop. Keep it snappy, to the point, and get to the action. Yeah, and you might be arguing for realism here. It's like, well, but if they're in a shop, there's stuff, but that's boring. <laughs> Your job is not to be realistic. Your job is to be fun. That's right. And, I mean, this is an element of storytelling that we're getting at here, and that is you should enter late and mm -hmm. leave early. That's right. And that's not a, a commandment on its own, but it sort of underlies many of the commandments that we're going to talk about, and it certainly underlies this one, which is the shopping isn't the fun part of your story. No. Now, your characters might enjoy the idea of getting all this new gear in the same way that people like window shopping, right? And they might anticipate, oh, I'll have another plus one to this or plus one to that. But then you spend the entire session that you'd hoped to move the story forward on that. And at the end of it, you know, somebody picked all their stuff in five minutes. And somebody else is taking an hour and a half to do the same. <sighs> yes, that's another issue too. So you just, and it ends up being frustrating. They fight over who gets what uh, share of the resources. And even if they are the most perfect, uh, wonderful human beings who, of course, volunteer to each other. No, no, you take the larger share. You're the one who's going to need the magical shield. Then you still spent, you know, half an hour, an hour, however long it took, finding the things that you wanted, that they wanted to have, uh, subtracting the gold, working out the math, seeing what would fit, changing their minds about which gear and which outfit and which things will go together. That could have been spent doing something fun. Yes, absolutely. So, don't just let them go shopping. Commandment number two, no distractions at the table. Yes, it's a huge one. Uh, again, your purpose as DM is to facilitate uh, not only fun, but also game flow. Uh, so distractions come in multiple forms. Uh, biggest form that, of course, is prevalent right now, of course, is cell phones, smartphones. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about the fact that you can have your players using their smartphones as a randomizing tool. Oh, if they're wimps. And of course, they can sometimes also be using it as reference material if it comes to that. Yeah, which is okay, yes. For um, some games that I've played where I was unfamiliar with the system, I would have my phone with a PDF copy of the books or whatever, you know, 
my character sheet or whatever on it so that I could quickly go into the session and quickly check my numbers and then turn it off and put it back in my pocket. Yes. You know, or lock the screen and put it back in my pocket and get on with the game. And I'd only pull it out as a reference. That behavior is okay. It's having it out on the table, looking down at it every five seconds, picking it up, or the worst one, someone else, it's someone else's turn to act, speak, fight, blah, blah, blah. And the person across from them has got their phone out doing whatever. Yeah. If you see that, you tell them, hey, could you put the phone away? Yeah. Uh, we're trying to do something right now. Yes. Play the game with us. Yes. I think it's important to set that precedent right from the get-go. Session one, you outline uh, electronic devices come out only if your grandma's in the hospital and you're waiting for a phone call or uh, something. In which case you expect it to be screen off sitting on the table in front of them yes they must never have it in their hand no. they shouldn't be checking twitter they shouldn't be scrolling no. through facebook absolutely not. it should be out of their hands it should be on the table and the only time they ever pick it up is if someone calls them or they're using it to as their randomizer or their reference material that's and then right. they put it back down as soon as they're done with that that's right so that they can get back to playing the game and it's common courtesy for a player to say hey um I'm expecting a call from such and such person. Don't know if it'll actually happen, but that's why my phone's on the table. Mm -hmm. And I'm, you know, if it happens, I'll have to leave the table. Blah blah blah. Right. But that's why it's here. Right. I just common courtesy. Yeah. Nobody... And, that, and that's a okay. Yeah. And if you make clear upfront to your players mm -hmm. that so I expect there to be no electronic devices yes. at the table, and I expect you to keep distractions to a minimum yes. but if you do have some sort of issue that means you have to have it at hand like we said you know your grandma's in the hospital kind of thing then just tell me yes okay and we'll work things out but it needs to be known that that's an exception to the rule and this of course also extends to other distractions having rpg books at the table can yes. be a problem too absolutely especially if you've got the aforementioned rules lawyer who wants to scan through the pages to try and figure out uh did that work the way it was supposed to? It's like, hold on, in the monster manual here, it says a hag's only got a 17 wisdom, and I rolled a 23. Like, I should have beaten her save. Mm. It's like, well, you didn't, and put the book away. Yeah. Right? The point is that they're not supposed to be checking up on you. They're supposed to be existing within the flow of the story. That's right. Now, part of this can be trust issues. Mm. Right, They might think that you're trying to screw them over. Yes. And we're going to talk about not screwing your party over, not screwing your players over in a little bit. But you need to set down the ground rule that says, you know, look, I'm not going to screw you over. Everything that I do is so that we can all have fun together. That's right. And if you can't accept that, then this isn't the group for you. That's right. right? I... And, if, and if they can't accept putting their distractions away, this isn't the group for them. Exactly. And again, with when again with the, with books, I have a like a zero books at the table unless there's some specific reason they need to be out there. Uh, for example, I when when playing Dungeons and Dragons, I often have the monster manual with me so I can show pictures or something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I, I still don't allow the books to be opened mm -hmm. uh, because again, it just breaks the flow. If That's nothing right. else, even if they're just I don't know, even if they're just reading something that they think is useful. Yeah, and even it's if it's like, perfectly now their mind innocent. Is here instead of on you. That's right. That's so. right. Then they'll be asking, "Oh, can you repeat that bit?" Yeah. yeah. Oh, I missed the description of the room. Uh huh. Right. Or they'll make decisions based on incomplete knowledge because yes. they only heard like one sentence out of three. That's right. Yes. And then all the rest of the players are like, "What are you doing?" Mm -hmm. 
and they have to have things explained for them and again it breaks them out of the immersion yes out of the flow of the story yes all right commandment three you must leave room for improv and mm. the unexpected yes absolutely so obviously uh you want to like you don't want to necessarily come into the session cold turkey not knowing what you're doing but something that novice storytellers in particular will ha struggle with yes. is trying to plan out every single fork and turn that the story can take right they'll be saying okay so if my players choose to do this then i'm going to do this and if my players choose to do that um um uh, then i can get them back onto this doing the other thing and there's no way yeah. You're never going to be able to anticipate all of the vagaries of human nature. You're never going to be able to know what your players are going to do before they do it because they don't know either. Mm -hmm. They're reacting on the spot and sometimes they're going to make crazy decisions that you never even thought of. It's going to happen. Mm -hmm. So don't drive yourself batty trying to plan out every fork of the road. And don't drive your players batty by trying to force them into one of the forks that you actually came up with. Mm -hmm. You have to leave room for the unexpected and for your players coming up with a brand new approach, a brand new idea, and then swing with it. Yes, because it rewards it rewards the players' uh, creativity. And if you turn around and say, no, it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen like that, it, it didn't happen, and blah, 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 then all you've done is curb their enthusiasm. And now they're going to be like, oh, okay, yes, master, I am the mindless zombie walking across the rails. Mm -hmm. Right. Rather, instead, you should reward the fact that they sort of outthought you. Yes, and we're going to hit on improv again and again and, and again, again and again and again. Yes. But the rule you must observe here: thou shalt leave room for improv. Yeah. You have to allow your players to come up with a different answer to the question you've posed them by putting them in a given situation. Mm -hmm. Right. Maybe you had in mind that they were going to either accept the offer of the archdemon or they were going to attack the archdemon. But what if one of them remembers that he was given a object that allows him to rewind time by 15 seconds and then they anticipate the archdemon's entry and lay a, a bunch of traps for him or something? Yes. Right? And you're like, well, I didn't expect that. It's going to end the battle right away. Or you don't invoke rule zero and say, no, that didn't happen. Instead, you swing with it and say, hmm, so how can I play this in? Mm -hmm. How can I make this work out? Right off the top of my head, okay, your archdemon maybe starts off damaged. Yes. Right? You say, even if that would normally kill him, they still want to have a climactic fight here. So instead, the archdemon starts off damaged, and that changes the way the battle is going to unfold. You always have to remember that rule of improv, which is yes and... Or yes but. And never no. Yes. See, now you've rewarded a player for remembering that they had this item instead of just saying, like, oh, no, it, uh, it breaks. It doesn't work here. Yeah. That doesn't do anything useful. <laughs> the notes echo far. Yeah. Professor Oak chimes in. This is not the place to use that. Right. So none of that. Yeah. Just figure out how you can fit it in. All right. Commandment number four. Thou shalt not split the party. Oh, split the party. Now, this is something that players will often uh, learn and observe as a rule for themselves in that it often leads to the DM killing off some portion of the party, right? Because they run into the encounter the DM had planned for all four of them or all five of them, and now there's only two. Yes. Or a smart DM will have 
ways of punishing the party、mm-hmm. without killing people that helps keep them together、yes. without having to force them to stay together.、Yes. In that, if the party tries and goes off its separate ways, they encounter difficulties that are too great for them to overcome except together. That's right. It's mostly a logistics concern. Uh, there are narrative reasons why it would make sense for the characters to split up for whatever reason, if they're searching for something or whatever. But it's just the logistics about time.、Uh, you are only one person being the DM, and、uh, having to split between two, even three, however many focuses they decide to split into,、mm-hmm. t- saps up all this time, and you have to keep switching between person and person and person. And what ends up happening is you can lose focus. You come back to person three, and the interim while、well, you've been describing person one and two's events, they can't remember what they were doing. Yes, and then you you end up leaving some of your players behind,、mm-hmm. and they lose their focus on the game, and the electronic devices start coming out, and the books start coming out. Yes, and now you've broken another of the commandments, or allowed another of the commandments to be broken. Yes, because you've left your players hanging for too long. This is just really hard to pull off well,、yes. allowing your players to go in multiple directions and have fulfilling storylines, without leaving the other players feeling high and dry. Yes, even even veteran role players, veteran DMs, GMs, storytellers,、um, can have issues with this. And oftentimes, even if they're cool with it, oftentimes what ends up happening is one section has more time than the other one, and you know it's like, oh well, you know, it's just how it was,、mm. or. And、um, and it just becomes a logistics nightmare of trying to balance and making sure it's fair. Yes. Everyone gets their time in the spotlight. So down the road, we're going to talk about when you can break this commandment. Yes. And how to do it well. Yes. But for today, yeah.、Uh, just keep the rule in mind,、mm-hmm. and look forward to when we talk about those few exceptions. Use every horror film ever as a guideline. Do not split up. Exactly.、Huh. Commandment number five: Don't tackle the unfamiliar. We mentioned this、uh, briefly in another episode where we talked about、uh, approaching genres when we were doing the five questions. Yes. We talked about not doing a genre or a play style or a a atmosphere that you were not familiar with. This is a little bit more specific than that. A little bit more narrow. And this is talking about、uh, settings,、mm. or a character, or a situation that you do not know a lot about. Yes.、Uh, so, what are some examples of that? One really obvious example of tackling the unfamiliar is trying to set your game in a location that you know nothing about,、mm-hmm. especially a real-world location where someone is going to be taking a look at the map at some point and saying,、um, "I'm confused." You said these places were right next to each other, but they're actually on opposite ends of the city.、Mm-hmm. Or I can't find the building that we're supposed to be in at all.、Uh, and you said we needed to like map out our route. Yeah. Right. Or it's going to come up. And if you set your game in Chicago, you really ought to know a lot about Chicago. That's if right. If you put it in Toronto, then you'd better be familiar with Toronto. Yeah. Because otherwise, it's going to confuse people who either are familiar with it or who at some point decide. You know, if we're in a real-world location, I ought to get familiar with it because that's going to give me an advantage. That's right.、Uh, by the same token, if you're making an a completely unique location, then you need to familiarize yourself. You need to steep yourself in. So, what is the geography of this place?、Mm-hmm. If it's an existing adventure book map, 
then you should have a really good idea about what that map looks like. That's right. If you're creating it from scratch, chances are you're going to have a really good idea about what it looks like because you built it yourself. Yes. But at the end of the day, if you forget that this is located next to that and you say it the wrong way around, then at the least you have an embarrassing retraction to make at some point in the future. This is why um, it's important to uh, not try to tackle too many crazy new things all at once. Um, and, it, and, and you don't have to have an encyclopedic knowledge about everything in the universe. No. But it does really detract from the uh, believability. Mm -hmm. If you have someone around the table, and you don't know necessarily everyone's interests, especially if um, you're with a group of, of strangers or acquaintances, you know, through one of the things we talked about in our very first episode, mm -hmm. or no, our second episode. Um, for example, and, and, and settings is the big one. Like, if you set it in a city, be sh ready to know something about that city. Uh, be ready to know, like, you know, this subway station comes after that subway station. Mm -hmm. Because someone has read, someone guaranteed has run the subway line and will be like, uh, that's not right. Right. And now the, and now the believability is thrown out the window. So the principle here is the willing suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Right. And this is a construct that all of us have to participate in whenever we're doing an imagination story as kids, yes. whenever we're watching a movie now, mm -hmm. right? whenever you're reading a book, yes. and whenever you're participating in a role-playing session. Yes. You have to be able to suspend your disbelief yes. and really immerse yourself in the idea that everything that I'm thinking and experiencing and seeing in my mind's eye, these are real things. Yes. And if there's... Uh, some contrast between what you're saying and what the person already knows to be true, yeah. it's going to cause a dissonance that's going to derail their ability to willingly dis suspend the disbelief, and they're probably going to feel the need to bring it up, and that's going to derail everybody else too. Yes. This also applies to things like tackling unfamiliar uh, objects and settings. And professions. Professions. So... Before we started today's episode, we were talking a little bit about examples on various items in mm -hmm. our list. Yes. And one we came up with was sailing. Yes. If you are not familiar with sailing, don't put your players on a boat. That's right. Unless it's in the context of, yeah, you get on the boat, you get off the boat. Yeah. Right? You're not going to be spending a whole lot of time here, so you're never going to have to experience the boat. Yeah. But if they are, then you need to know your starboard from your port. That's right. If you say... Okay, guys, we're going to the the aft of the ship, and everyone runs to the left, <laughs> right? And now you like you, except for the one guy who knows where the aft is. Uh -huh. You're like, uh, are these guys actually sailors? Because uh -huh. that's not how that works, right? If you have, if they, if you, if they with a you know pirate crew or whatever, and the pirate crew can't name the sails mm -hmm. or doesn't know what the crow's nest is called, right? And you're kind of like, how do these guys pirate? Hey, take this little glass tube up to the ceiling circle and uh, stare out and find us if we have any ground ahoy, okay? Telescope crow's nest land ahoy, gotcha. Okay. <laughs> Obviously this is a comedic hyperbole, but it can come up in all kinds of different topics and it can surprise you, especially if you have a group of players that you're not entirely familiar with their areas of expertise. Yes. Eventually, you might say something. If you're in your cyberpunk drama yes. and you're talking about something about how computers work, yes. I can't tell you 
the number of times myself, as someone who works with computers all the time, has been jarred out of yes. uh, immersion with all kinds of popular media. Yes. Right? The way that most TV shows treat hacking, for instance, yes, is just so beyond the pale in terms of completely wrong. Hacking's the big one, I would say, when it comes to like cyberpunk, that kind of... And everybody knows about the enhance button. Yes. There's no enhance button. <laughs> I'm sorry, you can't you can't make details where there were none. My, yeah, that's that's, my, that's called the invent button and it's it's not really the same. That's my favorite that's my favorite one in like you see that all the time in crime procedurals. Mm-hmm. The, they have a blurry photo on a uh, on a wet, on a camera. Yeah. And they're like enhance and it becomes like this like you, you know ultra hd rendition of their face and you can uh-huh. see like their eye color you can see the pores in their skin and it's like that's not how if you just expanded it it would just be a big blurry thing you would yeah all you would do is stretch the pixels out come on guys yeah like have you never used a computer before yeah like that's like photoshop level like competency there uh-huh and that same sort of problem is going to hit Mm-hmm. your players if you try and light upon some topic that they're particularly familiar with yes and you hit it wrong yes so don't tackle the unfamiliar that doesn't mean you have to stick to just a few topics that you're really good at it just means that you're going to need to do some research if you're research. going to want to expand beyond those and that's just a good rule for all stories yes you always write what you know yes and if you don't know it know it yeah <laughs> and then write it yes all right commandment number six do not take away player agency. Do not take away player agency. So what do you mean by that one, Chris? So this is another huge one that we're going to have to unpack over multiple episodes. Mm-hmm. Today we don't have time to tackle it in any kind of depth. No. But we did mention it earlier, and we've mentioned it before. So to put it in a nutshell right now, player agency is your player's ability to make the decisions that their character follows through on. Mm-hmm. Right. Is your character going to go left or right that your player should decide? That's part of their agency. That's right. Is your player going to attack the goblin that's off to the left? Or they're going to attack some, some other creature on the field of battle? Mm-hmm. That's their agency again. Mm-hmm. Are they going to talk to this person or attack them? That's their agency. Right. Even something as simple as, so what is my character competent at doing? Mm-hmm and competence at accomplishing and what do they do as a result of those things is all up to player agency. Nathaniel shared an example with me recently that just had me shaking my head. It's not exactly about player agency, but it's in there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you want me me to tell it or? Yeah, you go ahead. So this is something I read on on Reddit. I don't know how old it is, but there's uh, there's lots and lots of like horror stories out there for like bad uh, sessions and stuff like that. And it's pretty amusing. Uh, so anyways, uh, so in this particular case, I think it was like D&D 3rd edition, mm-hmm. uh, the fellow was playing a barbarian. Mm-hmm. And um, so they, they, had, they were in a cave, they were camping, and the guy wanted to boil water because they had pulled it out of a river or something like that. And it was in the medieval era, so he was boiling the water to make tea. Right. And the DM decided that because he was a barbarian, he was not smart enough to know how to boil water. So the guy playing the barbarian was like, well, I, I know he's illiterate, but like, you know, it was a common practice to boil water. Like, I'm, I'm making tea, right? Even if the guy doesn't understand that I'm getting rid of bacteria, they would have done it because the water's dirty. Like, you can see it. He's like, no, barbarian, not smart enough to boil the water, no boiling water. So anyway, so he was just like, well, I have to drink the water because otherwise I take 
dehydration effects or whatever. Because one of those things, one yeah, of those campaigns. One of those campaigns. <laughs> There's another topic. <laughs> uh, so anyway, so survival he campaigns. He drinks the water, and um, and then during the next combat, the DM informs him that he's now contracted dysentery from drinking the the contaminated water, which is what he was trying to avoid by boil, boiling it. So can you see how this is taking away player agency? Yeah. The player was making a decision yeah. that made perfect sense inside the context mm -hmm. and was well within the abilities of his character. Yes. But the DM had some idea that he wanted to act on. That's he was right. like, all right, this is a survival campaign. Somebody's got to get dysentery. But all of my players are too smart. Like they know that you're supposed to boil water. Yeah. So I've got to figure out some way to force a character to do something stupid so that I can launch dysentery on them. That's right. And so he stole away from the player the ability to have his character act in the way that he wanted him That's to right. by forcing on him this idea that, no, no, you're too stupid to know how to boil water. And, I mean, besides the absurdities of that, that man has been <laughs> wielding fire effectively for the last 30,000 years yeah. and yeah every barbarian culture is going to know about fire yeah. and how to boil and cook things yes even setting all of that aside it was a cheap trick yes right to try and force this situation upon the character if the character was really in a situation where he was somehow not smart enough to know how to boil water or that he should it still doesn't make a terrible lot of sense to force him into the situation. So you have to drink the water or else you're going to take negatives. Where were the other characters in his party? Yeah, I mean, they might have said something, but maybe not. I don't know. Yeah, so we don't have all the details yet. Details. But the fact that it ended up playing out like that makes it clear that the DM in that case had an agenda. And he pushed that agenda on the player. And in the process, he stole away their agency. It's a huge, huge no-no. That one, that one, even more so than some of the other ones, because some of the other ones you could get away with. It won't be great, but taking away the agency, you have disassembled one of the crucial aspects of collaborative fiction. Mm -hmm. If you want to decide what the characters do, write a book. If you're playing a role-playing game with other human beings around the table, they get to make decisions too. That's right. And you have to honor that if you're going mm. to keep it fun. Yes. Exactly. Obviously, Nathaniel and I are both really passionate about this subject. We're going to be talking about it again, but we have to move on. Yes. So let's move on to commandment number seven. Yes. Know your players. Mm. This is a big one. This is all about understanding what the player is looking for in a session or in a campaign. Um, it's wonderful if you have created yourself an incredible political intrigue with lots of talking mm. and, mm -hmm. and backstabbing, and then you find out that all the players really want to do is hack people's heads off. Yeah, that's not going to play so well. Yeah. Is it the player's fault for not being into political intrigue? No. Well, I mean, yeah. Well, What's wrong uh, with them? Yeah. That sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. But then they're not going to have fun. And remember, you are facilitating fun. At the end of the day, it is a game. And games are supposed to be fun. You need to know who you're crafting the story for. That's right. If this was a novel or a movie or a play even, the terminology here would be know your audience. Yes. But you need to know the kind of person that you're writing the story. You need to know your target audience. And it's true for writing a role-playing 
session as well, a role-playing campaign, is you need to know who your players are. They are your audience. They are the ones who are going to receive what it is you have to tell them, the ones who are going to be participating in your story. And if what they really want out of the story is the opportunity to murder as many people as possible, then you need to try and craft your story around that desire. It doesn't mean you have to cater completely and absolutely to each of their desires, but it does mean you need to try and address that core interest of theirs that led them to play with you in the first place. Now, I just want to point out, because um, I have also read lots of horror stories about this happening, catering to their core interests is not the same thing as allowing the players to live out their terrible twisted fantasies. Oh dear god. Uh, this is not a, a alternate life simulation for you to run around murdering innocent civilians or something like that. No. Or um, worse. Or worse. I, there's lots of stories I've read where terrible, terrible things, and I don't want to put them on this podcast because it would be nice if this was PG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got a clean rating yes. on iTunes and Google Play, so we're going right. to keep that. That's right. Uh, but just like remembering that catering to their, um, their play style and finding things that interest them is not the same thing as letting them do whatever they want. Absolutely not. Uh, In multiple dimensions. Yes. Right? Like Nathaniel's saying, it does not mean that they get a, to go around and consequence-free run yes. over everybody that's or right. murder them. That's right. But that's not the kind of story you're trying to tell because there's no story to that. Yes. Every action has to have an equal and opposite reaction. And if your characters really do want to go into a town and murder everyone there, then you should have a story built around the idea. So what happens when you try to do that? Mm-hmm. And you've got to make sure your players are on board for the idea that, look, the guards are going to organize and kill you all dead. Yeah. Right? So if you want to play this whole villain shtick, you're going to have to do it smart. You're going to have to act like real people in a real world that reacts to the things you do. That's right. This isn't an opportunity for you to play Murder Simulator 2000 mm-hmm. or worse. <laughs> right? It's an opportunity for you to interact with a living, breathing world that I'm trying to unfold for you. Mm-hmm. Right? So adjust their expectations accordingly if they don't get that. Yes. And the other dimension of not allowing your players to just do whatever you want is the Eighth Commandment, and that is, thou shalt challenge thy players. Aha, yes. So uh, we want to make sure that uh, in order to drive the drama, we have conflict. Uh, That is how the story moves forward, and that conflict is not always combat, which is what a lot of novice storytellers make the mistake of. Not everything that is a conflict also is combat. Right. Conflict can come in the form of other people disagreeing with your decisions, mm-hmm. uh, arguments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and I'm talking about interplayer arguments, that's another topic. Mm-hmm. But just with NPCs and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Um, or uh, not having enough money to get such and such, and where do I get the funds, or where do I find a vehicle, or now I need to steal a helicopter. Right, every single thing that is going mm-hmm. to force them into action is a conflict. Why is it so important that we challenge the players? The story itself can be an amazing engrossing world full of uh, flawed characters, <laughs> but if everything is going fine, yeah. and you know every town you enter, like, yeah, everything is really good here, and everybody is happy, and here's some free flowers, and I hope you enjoy your stay. Yes. And of course, the inn is always free, yes. and... <laughs> If you have any needs or desires, our magical genie over here is going to grant them. <laughs> right, there's 
it's an extremely wonderfully beautifully boring world that you've made. Yes. I'm sure everyone who plays video games has played at least one video game where they felt like things were just being handed to them. Or they cheated and made well, things be handed to yeah, them. Yeah, exactly. When you do that, I don't know if you've ever cheated. I'm sure that you are the very model of sterling good taste hmm. and would never stoop to such. But if you or someone that you love has ever cheated, <laughs> then you know that it kind of sucks the fun out of the game. When it is inevitable that you are going to win, when there really is no opportunity for failure, then all of the intrigue is sucked out of the situation. When you know that no matter what you're going to win, then there's not really any point in doing it, is there? Because mm -hmm. you already know the outcome. Mm -hmm. You need to challenge your players with various kinds of conflicts because that's what's going to drive their interest in the world. Mm -hmm. They're not here for the story, although they might think they are, they're really here for their participation in the story. That's right. For the elements that draw them in and require something of them. That's right. And the primary way that they participate in the story is resolving conflicts that appear. This is almost so basic that uh, many DMs and storytellers don't think about it. Mm -hmm. They don't really realize what they're doing when they have people giving quests and uh, offering challenges and, you know, there's a pasteboard full of things for people to do. Yes. They don't realize, oh, I'm generating conflict because conflict drives the story forward. That's right. right. Because they've seen it done so many times before. But when you break down the basic elements of this kind of game, you find at its core, and in fact, of uh, fiction in general, you find yes. at its core conflict. There has to be some problem that needs resolution. Yes. And the story is about how it gets resolved. Yes. Right? For better or for worse, it doesn't matter. It's about the resolution. That's right. The uh, swing in the other direction for this particular commandment, of course, is that you want to challenge your players, but you are also not there to murder them. Yes, this is something to keep in mind as you're letting the Eighth Commandment sink in. You're like, challenge my players. Okay, great. So I got a, I got a bunch of level two players. It's time for the Ancient Red Dragon. That's right. That's going to be a huge challenge. Yes, that's a challenge. Well, I'm, I'm just doing what you said, Christopher and Nathaniel. I'm challenging them. Yes, well, yes, but no. <laughs> because what you need to focus on here is that you might pull out the ancient red dragon because you're thinking, you're cackling to yourself as a villain would, of course, mm. saying, you know, as you stroke your white cat yes, yes, of course. inside of your volcano lair. Mm-hmm. Those fools will never be able to defeat me now. Hmm. <laughs> and you're right. Everyone's taking their headphones off now. I mean, you are literally God. Of course they can't beat you. Yes. But that's because you're taking the wrong approach on that's this. That's right. You're an evil God <laughs> if you've decided that they're your enemies. That's right. And they have no chance. You are a facilitator. The fun in... GMing storytelling is watching them overcome the challenges you set before them and watching them grow and progress. If if your goal is I'm the villain and I need to make sure that they're opposed at every turn, you're coming at it with the wrong mindset. Absolutely. You make the villains in the story, that's part of you creating the challenges. Mm -hmm. But it's not your goal to win. We all win by having a good time. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so... 
And that really is at the heart of it. Yes. Is that you have to remember what your goal is. Your goal is not defeating the players. Yes. Your goal isn't even really in challenging them, yes. except insofar as the challenges help the fun. That's right. Uh, if a player dies, legitimately, if there is a fight and the player is killed, most people are okay with that as long as they feel like it was a, it, like, it was a fair fight. They knew what they were getting into. They had a way out, potentially. Mm -hmm. Uh, they didn't take it, they chose, they he, the person died. That's right. So if your barbarian character oh. runs into a fight oh. that's three levels above him, mm -hmm. and you give him an opportunity to get out of it, and he charges headlong anyways, mm -hmm. and he gets himself killed, oh. then he had his fair shake. That's and right. that's okay. Yes. Right? That was a reasonable challenge that you presented towards them, mm -hmm. and you gave them an opportunity to do what they needed to do in order to get out of the challenge, yes. right? To avoid being killed, and they got killed anyways. Mm -hmm. That is fine. That's mm -hmm. how the game is supposed to work. That's right. But if you have instead presented them with some some situation that you know is going to be so far above them that it's going to destroy them completely, and then it does, well, <laughs> you haven't really accomplished anything. That's right. They just feel like you brought them here to be stomped on yeah right as some sort of ego trip yeah and you in the meantime are going to be out a group of players very soon yes exactly no one is going to have fun in that case and no one is going to forgive you for punishing them unnecessarily so yeah i think that one's that one's that one's that one <laughs> okay hold on i'll say that again Commandment number nine, leash your players. Mark. So what's this about? We've just said you can't let your player agency be compromised, and now we're saying put a leash on them? Mm-hmm. What are we talking about, Nathaniel? <laughs> bark, bark, bark. Um, what we're talking about here is to not let your players... You want to let your players to run too rampant. There is a. This goes back. This and this goes back to the whole reason why we don't love shopping and, mm -hmm. and things like that. You, your main job, the hardest thing, as a storyteller, as a GM, is keeping pace, keeping story flow. Mm. And if you allow the players to just, it might sound wonderful in your head, uh, to wander anywhere. But there is a reason that free roam video games are like 150-hour adventures. And that they oftentimes have some sort of wall in them as well. Yes, and then they have tra fast travel systems, and usually there's one person playing the game. Um, it is a nightmare to try to allow someone to just wander aimlessly, and that's what ends up happening eventually. You might plant hooks, but at some point someone's going to be like, where do I go now? Yes. Besides the fact that your players can get lost and the flow of the story get lost with them, mm -hmm. Uh, there are other worse consequences of allowing your players to just do whatever. Yes. And we talked a little bit about that already when we are saying this isn't about their, fulfilling their murder fantasies. Yes, right. Right? So you leash your players in that way, too, by mm -hmm. saying, no, there are real consequences if you just murder some random guy in town for his wallet. Yeah. Like, it's going to come up. Yeah. And... That's a, a form of leash on them by having the world react in a reasonable way to their unreasonable actions. Yes. Another form of leash is simply by uh, offering them the description of the area that they're in. Yes. Right? You constrain what things are available for them to interact with by what you choose and choose not to include in the area you've put them in. That's right. 
at the end of the day, they're going to be able to move from place to place at your whim. Mm -hmm. So you can control, okay, these are the interactable elements of this scene. Yes. And you should. Yes. And if they say, well, doesn't this town have like a blah, 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 and you've decided that it doesn't, then you say no. Then say no. Again, it goes back to this is not about realism. It's about having fun. And if it's, if all you, if, if, if you, you know that them going to the shop is going to slow them down, then don't have a shop or don't have a shop that's interesting to them. That's right. You say, oh, just, yeah, there's shops here. There's like, I think this one sells, looks like flowers. Yeah. And this one over here looks like it sells, uh, you know, those touristy things like the snow globes and such. Yeah, yeah. just chock full of snow globes. Yep, just snow globes. Magical snow globes? Nope. Regular snow globes. Regular snow globes. Glass, like whatever they use for snow. and Glass, snow. potato flakes, yeah, and like a little, little monument yep, little inside. House, little like Eiffel Tower. Uh-huh. <laughs> Eiffel Tower? But this is a medieval fantasy setting. Yeah, it's pretty weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's just how snow globes are. Yep. Um, and, and then you bring them back to where they need to go. Mm-hmm. You let them you let them wander because you don't want the players to ever feel like they're just riding on rails. Yes. You don't want that either. So a leash isn't like being on rails. That's right. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yes. Think about the analogy that we're trying to get at here. Yeah. Rails means that a train can only ever run where those rails go. That's right. right? It's only ever going to go in one direction, mm-hmm. right, forward or back along those rails, mm-hmm. and it's only ever going to be able to go where the rails are already laid down. Yes. But if you're out walking your dog on a leash, he's got a fair amount of feel of travel around right. you, yes. right? You've got your hand on one end of the leash. He's got a little bit of slack on it. And so he's able to move around your feet and go back and forth. But as you travel forward, he's compelled to travel forward with you. That's right. As you, you know, if you pull on the leash in a certain direction, then eventually he's going to turn around to look at it. That's right. Right? You shouldn't, like you wouldn't yank your dog, shouldn't yank on the chain, pull him off of his feet, mm. and slam him down in some other part. Yeah, and you're not, and you, and you, you also don't like flip your dog on his back and like drag him along the sidewalk either. You let him actually walk. Yeah, now he gets there on his own power, <laughs> right? But when you walk forward, eventually he's got to walk forward with you. That's right, and you're keeping the pace up. Right. Sometimes maybe you'll pause for a bit to let him sniff at some lampposts or some patch of grass, but eventually you're going to say it's time to go. That's right. And this way, even if you know that the players are walking from point A to B, they don't see it. Yes. When they're on rails, again, using the analogy, you can see where the rails are going. The tracks clearly lead over there. Yes. And the, if the players know that, then you they've lost, they've lost the fun of exploration. But if you, uh, as an example of this whole concept, if you instead, when they're asking a townsperson, so what's around here? Mm-hmm. You describe a couple of points. That's right. Right. You give them more than one, but maybe only two. Yes. Right. The point being that they can choose. I can go to point A or I can go to point B. Yes. And they feel like their agency is intact. Yes. Even though you have constrained their options. Yes. Right. They are on your leash, but you allow them some movement, some freedom of movement, Mm -hmm. even as you yourself move forward with the story. Yes, what I've seen done well and what I've done myself also, if you want a more visual aid in that way, is you, like you actually would have in real life, you have some kind of map, possibly of an area, and they're marked with like points of interest. Yes. Right? Chances are if the, if you're in a town, use that example again, chances are they've come to the town to look for something or look for someone, mm-hmm. 
And so one of the points of interest should probably be the place you want them to go or or, or two or three places you want them to go. Mm-hmm. And you've kept within the boundaries of realism. You would actually see a, a POI map like that in different places. Right, and then you simply uh, allow them to freely choose from between some set of those. Yeah. And when they do, mm-hmm. great. They have made a decision. You have respected player agency while still keeping them within a constrained environment. Still keeping the flow going. You mm-hmm. haven't described every random residential house. Mm-hmm. Or said, so here's the city, go buck crazy. Oh boy, yeah. That's, mm-hmm. that's a bad lead line. Mm-hmm. Because then what ends up happening is everyone stands around going, so where do we go? What do we do? That's right. And then someone wants to shop. see how this all works together yes speaking of which time for commandment number 10 oh it's that time already which is keep the story moving yes and we've i've said it like uh, seven times now it's like our buzz phrase for this episode but you are the facilitator of pacing it is both the absolutely most essential part of your job and also the hardest So what are we talking about when we're talking about pacing and Mm -hmm. how important it is for you to keep it? Yes. What we're getting at here is that so often your players will get distracted and they'll start talking. Sometimes they'll talk about amongst themselves as characters, Mm -hmm. but most often they'll be talking amongst themselves as people, right? Regular people, they'll be talking about what they did that day or some cool thing they saw on YouTube Mm -hmm. or whatever they were watching on TV. Yes. And you want to allow some of that because mm-hmm. that's your players gaining relationship with one another. Yes. And, I mean, that's part of the fun. Yes. But you also have to rein it in so that the story can continue moving. That's right. Another element of this is that your players will start trying to chase down little leads or try and poke into the nooks and crannies of your story where nothing actually is. Yes. But they've managed to convince themselves that there's something to do here. That's right. And you have to help them move the story along. Yes. You don't push them, right? Like with our analogy with the dog leash. You don't yank them off their feet and slap their face down somewhere else and said, look, this is the path. Now go. That's right. You just gently tug and by saying, you know, so giving them bland descriptions of the area they've come into or dead ends in terms of their search when they're talking to people about it, you can hint that, no, whatever imagined phantom you have here, there's nothing to find. Right. And then they'll go and start sniffing up some other tree. Yes. And, of course, this is where the uh, the famous ninja kicking down the door can come in as well. Yes. Uh, if all else fails, the players are stuck, they're not really sure what to do, you can have some sort of minor villain or some new person show up and start making it ruckus uh, and, and the players can draw their attention. What's going on over there? Who are you? Mm-hmm. What's going on? Mm-hmm. Especially if this new person immediately like attacks the players. Now they have something to do. Yes, exactly. Now they can start rolling dice and fighting people. Exactly. So if all else fails, you have a ninja kick down the door. Yeah. And we're going to talk about this in a future episode as well. We tend to categorize the kind of story elements that are going to help keep the story moving as three different categories. Yes. We have big ideas, mm-hmm. we have hooks, mm. and we have ninjas kicking down the door. That's right. So the big ideas are the ideas that underpin the whole story. Yes, the and main plot. And they're going to be you know, slowly trickled out to your players, but they're going to have some big idea in mind. They're going to know, so why are we even here? Right. That's the big idea that they're going to keep in mind. It might change. Right, they might realize that the big idea they thought 
was the reason for them being here was actually a ruse, mm-hmm. right? Or there might be more than one big idea keeping them here, but that's what's going to underpin the whole story. Yes. Then you have hooks, mm. which are going to be things that you should try and uh, keep embedded in your players throughout because mm-hmm. those hooks are going to be the answer to, so what do we do now? Yes. And if you try to run a more sort of interpersonal uh, story, then those hooks can also include uh, aspects of the character's backgrounds yes. or backstories. Yes. No. And then, of course, ninjas kicking down the door is an immediate, like, okay, something just happened, you have to react to it. That's right. Because players can always react to something fairly easily. Yes. And that is exactly why you reserve those situations for so they don't know what to do next to pursue the big idea that's right and although there are hooks outstanding because you're a good storyteller Mm. and you Mm. made sure that they still have something immediate to pursue yes uh for whatever reason they're not sure what to do next on it so you have some ninjas kick down the door and oftentimes you should use that not just as a okay now there's something to do that's going to leave them just as uncertain on how to progress uh, when the something to do is done, but rather the ninja kicking down the door should somehow be related to one of the hooks that's or right. the big idea. Yes. And so when they've defeated the ninja, it'll lead them back onto the main plot. Uh, one example that, uh, that I've seen before, um, so uh, the players are attacked by some kind of assassin. Mm-hmm. Uh, they kill the assassin, and on the assassin's person is some sort of letter. That's right. Uh, a letter of employment from whoever hired them. Or sure. maybe not the big cheese that hired them, but one of his subordinates. Yes. Now they have a name or something that they can now use to move on. Right. And they can track down that person. Mm-hmm. And like, oh, this is related to that. Remember when we found those others and there was this guild of assassins? And, yeah. You know, whatever it is. Or maybe he, he's wearing some medallion that, oh, I saw this symbol before. Right. Exactly. Right. Right, and it ties back into one of your hooks or the mm-hmm. big ideas yes. behind your story, yes. and it gets the plot moving again. Exactly. All right, yeah. so there's our Ten Commandments, mm-hmm. plus Rule Zero. Rule Zero, yes. And now, in order to end this podcast, I invoke Rule Zero. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's podcast. We hope you enjoyed it and maybe even learned something fun to take back to the gaming table. Your hosts are Nathaniel Kiefer and Christopher Kiefer. All the songs used in this podcast were composed by Lee Rosevere. Come visit our site at enough.games. That's E-N-O-U-G-H dot G-A-M-E-S to see the full list of all of our podcasts and find ways you can engage with us and fellow RPG fans about the best ways to play God.